It's Monday night at 10 o'clock, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Uh, we're wrapping up March, and I, we feel it's rather appropriate to focus on women since it's Women's History Month. Uh, so women in comics, they've been around since the beginning, since, well, even before the 20th century, uh, from Rose O'Neill to uh, Grace Dayton, um, Edwin uh, Dumb, like these are names that you've probably never heard before, but some of the groundbreaking women that have like, really made comics what they are today. Uh, so we're going to be talking from everything from them to modern-day awesome kick-ass women uh, who are creating comics and some of the characters that we know and love. We've got a special guest before I introduce her. I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Great. I'm super excited to have a new voice joining us today. Yes, and uh, let's welcome her. Uh, so we've got a guest, Madison Butler, who is a uh, one of the trips for policy, Cookie Hellhammer. Uh and she also is for the Geek Girl Gang. Uh, she spends a lot of free time reading comics and the rest of it, writing about it. Uh, she enjoys crafts and pretends to enjoy running. Um, doesn't anyone actually enjoy running? That's a big question. Uh, so welcome, Madison. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, good here. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. You have been doing an amazing kick-ass, um, basically, series of articles um, every single day at Graphic Policy uh, that we've dubbed Comics Herstory. And for those that want to check it out, you can actually go to Comics Herstory uh, on Twitter and uh, see all of them. So the the articles have basically been women, female creators in comics history. Um, like, what's kind of been the most surprising for you so far doing all that? Um, I think actually the most surprising thing is to find out that um, women have, you know, kind of been in this for the long haul. We've been here since the start of everything. Um, I graduated with a degree in journalism in uh, from college, so I did take a class on kind of like journalism through the ages, and there were. Um, like a lot of like political cartoonists and um, stuff like that that we learned about. And women have always been a part of the political cartoons in the fight for suffrage and things like that. So I, I guess it shouldn't have been as surprising as it was, but that's definitely been one of the more interesting parts is to kind of go back to like the early 20th century, even though like the late 19th century and kind of read all about these women who, have, you know, like you said, made comics what they are. With the with the early ones, I mean, kind of like there's a theme that I've been noticing in pretty much a lot of your early ones, and that's pretty much that women either had to use pen names or kind of hid what they did. Um, I mean, kind of finding that with a lot of the early creators. Yeah, um, and I think that's true of uh, various art forms. Like, you know, there are women who wrote under um, like pen names that could have been you know, a man's pen name, um, and even artists, like, going back to the Renaissance, that women have always kind of had to hide their gender to be successful in a field that they were good at. Um, and that's definitely true of comics as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, Anna, yeah, I don't know if I cut you off. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I'm glad that you're tying this back to, you know, women and our, our contribution in art in general and in culture in general. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was, I was gonna say, I just, I think that's certainly true of um, 
like art especially. I I did take a an art class on that was like about you know, women painters and artists and um that and the, it was true then and I guess it was true as late as like the 1950s. Well, I actually know of um you know a comics artist who uh, I didn't. You know, I, I don't think she she realized that people were assuming that she was a man uh, based on her signature, but frequently had had people assume that she was a man because she worked under like first initial like last name basically like with how she'd sign mm-hmm. her pieces and stuff. Um, and she was talking about like having going to comic stores and overhearing people saying different things about her art, but like not knowing that she was the actual creator of it. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. And that was recent. That was really recent. Yeah, I mean, even when J.K. Rowling started publishing Harry Potter, no one knew that she was, like, the J stood for Joanne, I guess. So, yeah. Even as a later example, too. Yeah, wasn't it part of the reason she used J.K. was because uh-huh. she didn't think, as a woman, she would get it published? Yeah, yeah. And that's really distressing. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and you wonder, you wonder sort of, like, you know, like when you have writers who have names where it's not really clear necessarily what their what their gender might be, like, do you, you know, does like a guy, and I'm going to presume a guy, like skimming the shelves of comics, is he more likely to pick up a book by Alex DeCampi than he is to pick up a book by Alexandra DeCampi? You know, like how much does mm-hmm. that assumption about who's going to be writing what kinds of stories impact what people decide to read? And I, you know, I feel like it's a thing that you just get acculturated to assume no matter how good your intentions are, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's true. Um, someone had asked me recently if I thought that there should be a separate section for um, like comics written by women or drawn by women. And while I think that would make it easier to kind of point me toward what genre, like I know I gravitate toward women um, creators and title characters and whatnot, but and I know that would make it easier, like, looking for me for comics, but I, I can't help but wonder if people would also avoid that section purposefully. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Like, I go back and think about comics as a kid, anything from, you know, uh, even through my teenage years. I can't really think of, like, caring that much about the creator. Like, I was more mm-hmm. into the characters and the series. And it's funny, is like you know a lot of people discuss the oh I remember growing up reading like this writer this writer I couldn't tell you the names of half the writers and the artists that were doing it. Um, like I really really cared about the characters more than anything else. It's it's one of those things that only like later have you know in my twenties did I really start paying attention to who was really behind the scenes. Um, probably the internet helped with that too because I could actually mm-hmm. like look up and who the hell everyone was. Um, well just you know. Anecdotal about my experience. I think it's true for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah, it's I've I've always kind of wondered about that. Is you know, you know, little kids obviously they care about the characters more than anything else. Um, but I think but once it, people get to a certain age, like you do start to follow specific. Work. I just had an exchange on Twitter today with an individual oh, yeah. who didn't, you saw this right. <laughs> he kept insisting uh-huh. that Gail, <laughs> did not understand. Okay, he kept insisting that Gail Simone was one of his favorite women comics writers. And I kept trying to explain to him that stipulating it like that actually wasn't really a compliment. Um, and he just did not understand the point I was trying to make. Um, that, like, and I'm, not, and I'm not somebody who thinks that you shouldn't, 
when people are upset that there's like a women in comics panel or whatever, I'm, I, I understand their frustration, but unfortunately like there needs to be a women in comics panel because that's the one I want to go to. Um, yeah. It's a way for, att- for attracting those of us who have shared interests and passions to all come and go to the same stuff. So I'm happy to have things, you know, branded as being like women in comics and stuff like that. That's useful for our interactions and for promotion, but I don't want to stipulate like which kind of a writer I like based on their gender. You know, I, I would be willing to say, oh, you know, I think XYZ is some of the best writers of female characters, right? You know, and of course that would include people like Greg Rucka. But I wouldn't, who's, you know, everybody like loves, the, you know, his writing of women characters. But I'm not going to say like, oh, this is my favorite black writer. This is my favorite woman writer. This is my favorite, what, what, normal writer? That's implying that men are normal. So, I, you know, we're still like trying to explain this to, to readers, Um yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, bizarre exchange. I'm just gonna outright say it. It was really strange. Gail Simone is a, is clearly a uh, a um a saint. Someone a saint. I was gonna say I was gonna say so I was gonna say a gentleman, and that's really not what I'm going for. <laughs> yes, Gail Simone is clearly a saint because I would have thrown this guy through the wall by that point. I I actually took her off the fag. So I'm like she doesn't need this in her life. Anyway. Um, so, uh, but one of the things I was really excited that I really wanted to have you on to talk about Madison is just, you've done this essentially like a study that extends over, uh, you know, through the history of comics. And I, I know the folks who I really like and who I enjoy right now, I'm not really that great on like the women from, of, from the past and, you know, earlier comics by women that we should know. And I, I'd love for you to maybe tell us about a couple of things that you learned from, uh, the past, uh, that, <laughs> we might want to hear about yeah i'm actually um so i'm like pretty new to comics i've only been reading comics for like i guess three years now so i like clearly i have a lot to catch up on but um it's been it's been really fun um i've really been enjoying um like in the senti's writing like catching up on her stuff gail simone um, you know, the classic, like, graphic memoirist, like, Alison Bechtel and Marjane and Trappy, um, and Kelly C. DeConnick is, like, really one of the first um, authors that I read, and, like, I just, I love her stuff, as many people do, and rightfully so. Um, G. Willow Wilson, and then Marjorie Liu, um, Monstrous is just an incredible story that I've been loving a lot, and as you can probably tell by the reviews that I've been reading, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's just there's so many good writers out there that deserve our attention, really, um, and artists as well. I know I haven't really been talking about the artists as much, but there are really some just incredible artists out there. Yeah, Anna Senti is somebody who, you know, she was a, an early editor and then writer on X-Men during the Claremont era. Uh, and it really mm-hmm. should probably be like the Claremont slash Nascenti era, if you think about how significant our contrib- contributions are to the X-Men titles. Yeah, I, I was reading, um, like I did take a graphic novel class in my last year of college, which was cool because I think that was like the first time I had ever heard her name mentioned. So then I kind of went back and like started reading some of her stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, and I, I just hadn't really, like she was a name that I always I recognized, but I just hadn't really realized how, you know, she invented Longshot and she invented tons of these characters and yeah. added, like everything we've read basically um, from that yeah. like period. Um, you know, uh, 
I, I really don't, I don't know if I want to be like, oh, this is like the thing that I heard that people should read, but they have a, a nice interview with Anacetti on um, Rach, uh, Jay and Miles Explain, the X-Men podcast that I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, okay. I definitely, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I really wanted to get into that podcast, but I don't really have the patience for podcasts yet, but someday <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read it because, or listen to it because the X-Men can continue to mystify me so as many well, hence the need for a podcast <laughs> yeah. hence the podcast i guess uh well thank you for joining us on our podcast nonetheless um i you know i i remember going to uh you know comic cons and just seeing some of the artists um from like silver age mm-hmm. and who are still like doing art and just I don't know. Ramona Fradden is like somebody who I I didn't know her name, but I grew just like you know I saw her at all of these um, comic cons and was looking at her art and like she's just somebody who did all these different comics in the Silver Age. People don't really people don't really talk about her that much, and I don't know much about her either. So I feel like yeah. Uh, spoiler alert: she might be coming up later this week, so you'll <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll have can... a chance to learn more about her. <laughs> She's the name that I, I keep seeing and he keeps coming up, but I haven't quite scheduled her in yet. So, do you mind sharing a couple, share a couple things with us on the podcast now? Um, sure. I haven't quite done all of my research yet, but it's just amazing how much. Like, I think one of the thing that has one of the other things that has continued to like surprise me is I've um, um, like gone through this um is how many characters women have created. Um, mm. I did notice that on that, and a lot of, like, really well-known characters, too, that I, I had no idea. I'm learning tons off of off of this series, so I'm beyond enthusiastic that you're doing it. You've been doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's been a really exciting thing. And I've, um, I was looking at my document today because I have all of them in, like, one document, and it's, like, 20 pages long, which is quite a lot. Mm. Um, but... Just like her bibliography is unbelievable, like or Ramona Freyden's just so much for DC and even like Marvel too. But um, she does a lot of the classic DC characters that you wouldn't really think or wouldn't imagine. I don't know women drawing at that time, um, like Aquaman, Batman, Brave and the Bold, um, Metamorpho. Yeah, she did the character design for Metamorpho, I think. And I mean, people might not know that character by name, but like he's got one of the coolest character designs ever. It's also like the most Silver Age character design ever. Um, <laughs> like she she definitely hit it out of the ballpark. He's a character who I'm just like, he's just so cool looking. I want to see him in everything. I don't even care like what does he do or whatever. He just looks cool. So whatever she came up with for him, I think it is like. Yeah, he'd really be a fun one design. to see on TV, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did anyone watch Supergirl tonight? Oh, hell chance? yeah. Because I just finished watching it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I yes like, yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that show so much. They just keep doing a lot of, I think, new, not new, but new for TV shows with her character. And the way that they write her, I mean, she's so compassionate and kind that that's one of my favorite things about that show. But they had some fun and interesting character designs on there tonight <laughs> hmm. with um, Silver Banshee and 
uh, Livewire. Those were great characters. Those yeah, really my big thing characters. with the show in the depiction, especially Super, it's it's so positive, but like positive and then exciting, fun sort of way that it's like yeah. very infectious, and you can't help but smiling too. Like for tonight's episode, I mean, she teams up with the Flash, and it's like the first ten minutes. There's a couple ways she delivers lines. It's just like cute, adorable, fun. Like it just gets you to smile. Like and I yeah. can't imagine anyone else delivering it. It's it was it was one of those things. Like the last few episodes have been a little bit down, but this one, it it yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I think Melissa Benoist Benoist it was like the perfect yeah. character yeah. for her. She's just so consistently like I don't know. She's great. It, I love the way she plays Kara on that show. Hmm. Cool. Well, you know who I you who I only heard about because of you writing about her was Dorothy Woolfolk. I actually didn't even recognize that name. Speaking of Superman, yeah, Supergirl. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like a rabbit hole. It's like if I start if I start researching someone, I kind of end up in a totally different place, which is cool and interesting, and I've discovered a lot of people that way. So that's another exciting thing about this project. Yeah, Do you I mean, her, to, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say with her, I mean, I didn't know that she helped get kryptonite. Like that was a big her big thing. Uh, yeah, I contribution. I loved that fact. <laughs> I think that was that might be my favorite fact that I've discovered was that a woman invented kryptonite. I think a lot of the time when people talk about iconic things in comics, we think about the creation of specific characters, which obviously is huge. But then there are specific concepts, which you're right, like kryptonite. Where like being the person who came up with the idea of kryptonite is just as important as being the person who came up with the idea of Superboy, for example. You know. Yeah, probably like, probably like more you, important than Superboy, you know. Yeah, you can't really have like Superman without Kryptonite. I mean, it's kind of a household term in the sense that, like, if you say, "Oh, chocolate cake is my Kryptonite," like, you know, it's something that's entered our everyday vocabulary too. I think. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's true. So I think you should make sure that people are like honoring that just as much as the other stuff. Um, yeah. You know what I've never heard of, actually, is uh, uh, Lila Quintero Weaver, I believe is her name. Can you talk to us a little bit about her? Yeah, that was another one of the interesting um, things that I had seen, because I was actually looking at um, an article talking about Black History Month, and so it was like a list of books that were good to read for Black History Month or something like that. I think it was on, it might have been on Comics Alliance, maybe, or one of those kinds of sites. Mm-hmm. So, um I was looking at that, and the book was on there, and I was like, and so I kind of dug into that a little bit, and it was interesting because it wasn't um, an African-American author per se, but it was kind of a different perspective on growing up in, like, civil rights era Alabama, um, but not as a white person or, like, an African-American person, but as, uh, um, like, a South American immigrant, so kind Mm. of an outsider in a different way. What's the name of her book? Um, let me see. I... Oh, it's I uh, got it. I got it. It's Dark Room, a memoir in black yes. and white. Yes. Yeah, the art dark looked dark really dark. good. Really. Yeah, it is. It's like this beautiful black and white pencils, and I really, really enjoyed looking at the art for that one. <laughs> I think, like you know, there's some characters also that like people recognize but don't really know much about as a character like Phantom mm-hmm. Lady and stuff. I mean, maybe maybe I just know her because I look at a lot of old comics art. 
Um, but I know you mm-hmm. had a piece about the creator of Phantom Lady. Yes. Uh, it's like I'm trying to go back and remember Sorry, who yeah. the creators are. Because, uh, <laughs> Ruth, no Ruth, Roche, Ruth, Roche, Ruth Roche. Ruth Roche. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day. Someone was talking to me about like old comics and um, like Actually, I think it was a special on um, Time Warner movies or something, and someone was telling me about it and how, like, The Phantom was one of the first. And then I was like, oh, I remember there was a Phantoma. Phantoma was, like, the first, and there's, like, Phantom Lady. But, um, yeah, Phantom, like, I I love the character design for Phantom Lady. I know it's pretty sexist and revealing in terms of costume design, but, like, the whole aesthetic of it is actually pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, I actually thought it was really interesting. I was kind of noticing that with a lot of the folks that you're you're highlighting, that a lot of them were behind the creation of those early female comic characters. Like you had Miss mm-hmm. Fury. Um, I forgot who it was that created Miss Fury, but that was one of them. Um, uh, the Ruth Rush or Shay, she didn't like necessarily create them, but a lot of the early career, um, female characters like she was one of the early writers for um it i was i was kind of really fascinating i mean it almost like spoke to the whole concept of if you want diversity you kind of need diversity like it it really felt like these early creators were the reason we have female characters or a lot of them yeah i think i think one of the arguments like one of the arguments i hear about diversity in comics a lot is like it'll come when like eventually and we just have to sit around waiting for it but I think a lot of people miss the fact that like a lot of these women just kind of elbowed their way in and made space for these characters in a genre that wasn't necessarily receptive of them but they got them in there anyway yeah I also find it it's fascinating I mean there's some there's some great books on comic history and I think some of them touch on it slightly but no one like really dives into it and brings it up that the early comic creators were Jewish immigrants who couldn't get jobs creating anywhere else because they were Jewish. And with them yeah. came all these like female creators and African-American creators who couldn't get jobs elsewhere as well in creative areas. But all you hear about is the Jewish creators. You don't hear about anyone else. It's just really strange that you had all these different immigrant groups who were having, were basically shat on by society and get mm-hmm. jobs, but like only one group of it, the men really came down, you know, like, are the ones that you hear about, the white men. Uh-huh. Yeah, and another thing that I noticed, too, is a lot of them had said, like, oh, I just went in and submitted my portfolio and was hired to do pencils or inks or coloring or whatever, but I'm sure it was a little more complicated than that, but it seems like there was kind of a market for these women to be, like, yeah. having jobs in comics at this time. I forgot which one. Uh, so there's some great books out there. There's Book um, Nations, one, Men of Tomorrow is another. And I, it, there's one that I do remember said that um, one of the, the houses that was like really churning out, it might have been like the the um, Iger studio, they were like, we just hired <laughs> tons of women because they could just crank out these books like in a in an assembly line easily. And mm-hmm. They didn't really give a crap. It was like, oh, you could draw. Like, yeah, come on. Hmm. I mean, I think the only reason why we even really look at these things, why there's enough of a pop cultural awareness about 
the significance of so many of the artists and creators of being Jewish is because that was the topic of a book that was a bestseller, you know, Cavalier yeah. and Clay. And I think that if there was like a book or some other cultural piece that was pointing to the contributions that women made in comics in a way that was equally like, this is actually a good narrative and not just a, a document telling you mm-hmm. to look at something a certain way. I think that would change the conversation as well. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that before Cavalier and Clay was out, that was part of the conversation even like, you know, yeah. all the history is like right there and people just don't have that analysis applied to it. They need someone else to tell them to look for it. Oh, you know, one person yeah. who did a story, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say there are a few books about um, women in comics, but I think a lot of them are, are more like, a, like a collection of strips rather than like an actual kind of bio- yeah. biographical profile. Um, the one that I did find that was like kind of a combination of both of those things is a book about Jackie Orms or Ormez. Um, I don't think anyone knows how to say her name, but she was the um, first black female cartoonist. Um, she's actually from Pittsburgh, which is where I'm from. So that was pretty cool. Um, but other than that, there really aren't a whole lot of books like chronicling the history of women in comics that I've found. And I don't think if they were a nonfiction book, anybody would pick it up. Like, I think it has to be. Similar. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, yeah. but, um, but I, I don't know. You know, you have a piece about Afua Richardson, who is someone who's mm-hmm. a comics artist, and writer, who's really like coming to more and more attention right now. And it was just announced, I guess this week, she's going to be the artist on the new Blade comic at Marvel, which is great. I think that's probably the most high profile um, piece for her to have done. Um, yeah, and I'm so relieved because like there aren't enough women doing art at Marvel or DC, mm-hmm. and she's gonna be doing she's gonna be doing it an art you know the story is like a man like Blade and his daughter are the main characters right so we have a have a woman doing mm-hmm. art for that I think it's super cool. Um, yeah, can you is, talk a little bit about her? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed reading about her because I've been doing a lot of like the not as contemporary artists. Um, but she was just like multi-talented. I mean, she can do, I think, everything and anything that she sets her mind to, <laughs> as far as I read, because she does art, and she is an incredible artist, and she also is a singer and yep. a songwriter, and she does beatbox art, and she is a classically trained flautist, which, like, just the multitasking, I imagine that involves, <laughs> like, balancing all of that is incredible, but... um yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading the Blade comic because I'd love to read more of her stuff. Yeah, if you haven't yet, I, I really suggest Genius um, that yeah, she it's, did it's the, on the my art list. for. Oh, we can hook you up yeah, on that. Yeah, it's a Genius. What's the name of the comic called? So it's Genius. I know you've mentioned out. it before. Yeah. yeah, it's by Top Cow. It's straight up called Genius. I mean, the, the series is basically. Um, there's a, a African American girl who kind of um, brings together gangs in LA and just like takes over over an area, um, and just yeah, the really smart, um, uh, good with tactics that type of it's a fascinating read. Um, while it came out as like a one shot, not really one shot, it was part of a talent search a couple of years ago. Um, they finally like released it. Um, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. It was like I think right. It was 2014. 
Yeah, it was like that was about right yeah. about when all the Black Lives Matter was just kind of really starting up. So mm-hmm. thinking ahead of time with with comics having to be done well beforehand, it was just one that was eerily timed for the release. Um, I, I recommend it. I think it was it's a really interesting like politically infused comic series. Yeah, and that's that's kind of one of my other pet peeves about comics is that when people say that they don't really carry any weight um, culturally, I think it can be a really interesting reflection of what's going on at the time and make some very interesting statements, like politically, socially, and culturally. Yeah, don't don't get me on that rant. I got a whole rant <laughs> about how the early comics were all political and the scripts were all political and commentary on, on society at the time. So, yeah, anyone that says comics are politic, political, I just look at them and start laughing. They're not paying attention. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the yeah. thing <laughs> of our show is that, that even if they say they're not, they're still political. They are. You know? um, uh, so of the, of the uh, creators who are contemporary people, um, are there any – is there anyone who you want to sort of point out who you think hasn't gotten enough attention that you want to make sure we speak about tonight? Um, well, let me take a look. Uh, sorry, it's kind of hard to just like keep them all in mind. I think uh, one of the more interesting ones, not totally contemporary, but Marie Severin, um, co-creator of Spider-Woman, this mm-hmm. an incredible colorist who made full use of like all the colors available, which is, not something that a lot of people did at that time. Um, I know I haven't done Lumberjanes at all, but I think Lumberjanes is like one of the best comics out there right now. Um, not only because like it's not, I don't know, I know it's aimed more towards the younger crowd, but I think it's applicable to all ages. Um, there's some great reminders in there about friendship <laughs> that I think um, some people could use sometimes. Um, and I think Belle Young was another one that I, I really enjoyed reading about um, because she, the one that she, like, that I read of hers, um, it's a book called Forget Sorrow. It's a graphic memoir of, like, well, kind of a graphic memoir and then part, like, family history. Um, it's a really beautifully done book her art is gorgeous. It's kind of like a combination of like brushstroke but woodcut kind of if you can sort of visualize that it doesn't really make sense but um, it's just a a beautifully told story that's a really interesting perspective because she is um, a Chinese American and a lot of her story is about um, like her family's home and how they had to leave it, and, like, the political situations that arose to force them out of their home. And I think that's something that we didn't really, like, learn about a lot uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S. So that was a really interesting read for me. What was the name? Um, What's her name again? Uh, her name is Belle Young, and the book is called Forget Sorrow, an Ancestral Tale. Cool. Um, it's a lot – It's it blends kind of her story and then um, – like her father's family history, which was really interesting. Yeah, that was one. I when yeah. you when you put that out there, I never even heard of that before. It's it's now on my list yeah. to go try to track down a copy. Yeah, that one um, kind of took some digging to find. Uh, there's like there's a lot of writers that I haven't been able to touch on because you know it's just like more than a month would be required to get through like all of the women that I 
kind of researched for this, but she was one of the ones that I was glad that I did get to read and write about. One of the books that, um, or I should say one of the creators that you uh, mentioned who's doing work contemporary that I actually hadn't heard of before is Emily Carroll. Can you talk about her a little bit? Yes. Um, I love Emily Carroll's work. She is, I believe she's a Canadian, but um, she does a lot of, like horror comics um and so her book through the woods is an an- well not really an anthology but like a book of short horror comics that she wrote and drew and it, her art style is very um kind of fairy tale-ish very, like a lot of kind of ink stroke looking very fluid um just kind of poetic to look at um and her stories are creepy as all get out which I enjoyed because I'm better at, like, reading horror than I am at watching it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, one of the things that I missed on the first read-through was I think her stories really work as a way of um, understanding trauma and, like, terrible things that have happened. Um, so that was an interesting read that I kind of, like, understood more on the second, like, the second time I read uh, her books Through the Woods. Um and she also posts a lot of comics online, which she also does some really interesting things with. Um, some of the ones that she has posted lately um, are interactive comics. Um, one of the ones that I talked about was, what was it called? It was about, it was about a room. I can't remember. <laughs> um, let me find it. Was it in Margaret's your room? Okay. Um, and so, like, when, whenever you read the comic, um, there's like a poem at the top of the page, and then you kind of have to figure out where to click um, because you don't scroll; it's just like an image, and with different places you can click. So you kind of have to pay attention to the poem and figure out where to click and how to read the story, which is a really interesting way of um, like forcing readers to interact with the comic and the events of the story that I'd never seen before. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, one of, one of our other cool. people. Yeah, one of our other people did a, a long post about Emily Carroll and her uh, digital comics, and and was really praising them. It, it's still something I need to check out. Um, I like her yeah, style. they're really great. Um, I, she does have a lot of them online, so if you don't feel like dropping money on the book, um, they're there. But I'd say the book is also worth it. And it sounds like she's creative in it too, like forcing you to kind of yeah. figure some stuff out, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a nice interactive. You don't see that too often. Yeah, I really like that because it's almost like a game, but um, not really. I don't know. It's just something different from the medium that I had never really seen before in terms of web comics. Yeah, that's very new. Like I've never seen that before, so it's it's cool. It's a really, really neat idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things we wanted to talk about was like some of our, you know, either series that we want to recommend that either have cool kick-ass female characters or ones that we would kind of recommend for female fans or just in general, some of our favorite female characters. Um, you know, is there any that you've kind of either come across doing all this research that you maybe didn't know about before or, um, like any that kind of like really jumped out at you is kind of a, you want to learn more about? 
Um, yeah, actually, today, uh, as I was researching Marjorie Liu, um, I definitely want to read more of X-23. I'm not mm-hmm. super familiar with the X-Men, but um, she made it onto a cover of the last volume of Black Widow, so I kind of like I kind of knew who she was. Um, but I definitely want to read more of her. Um, Supergirl, based on the show, actually. Um, haven't really read any Supergirl before, and I'd love to read more about her stuff. Um, and I'm certainly curious to hear Orla- um, Steve Orlando's uh, take on the character in the new DC Rebirth, because I never yes. could have imagined him on that, and he's good, so... Yeah, um, I actually just read uh, Midnighter as per Logan's recommendation. He talks about <laughs> um, Midnighter a lot, so I was like, I should probably read this, but I really enjoyed it, <laughs> but he was not a writer that I would have been put on Supergirl. Not that I'm not looking forward to it, but it'll certainly be an interesting story, I'm sure. Yeah, He's one that's funny when, like, I would have not really thought about it, but going back to, like, my interaction with him in like, his various interactions with him in person, just, like, hanging out and drinking mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to be awesome. I'm on Supergirl. There's something about his personality <laughs> I think is going to be a lot really, really fun. Yeah, based on the, um, like, three days that I followed him on Twitter, I'm really excited for it. <laughs> yeah, Steve's awesome. It's um, funny. I love Squirrel Girl, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's a great character. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, Lumberjanes, as I've said, um, I love Bitch Planet. I know everyone reads Bitch Planet, but it's such a great comic. Um, we're, we're overdue for a new issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I was just about Bitch Planet. Is like I, all of my telling all my political friends that they need to read Bitch Planet. One of them mm-hmm. finally said to me, hey, can I borrow Bitch Planet? And I'm like, finally. Because you know, I, 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 so most of, you know, so many of my friends I know from doing political activism, political organizing, advocacy, and all that other stuff. And um, I've been telling everybody, like, if you care about feminism and you care about prisoner rights and you care about fighting against the patriarchy, I mean, like, there's just the, just so much stuff is in there. And finally, finally, one of my friends who doesn't read comics, because all my friends who do read comics do read Bitch Planet, <laughs> but finally, one yeah. of my friends who doesn't read comics, who is like, you know, a good leftist organizer, was like. Should I read Bitch Planet? I'm like, yes, I've been telling you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have I have several friends who don't read comics, but I'm making it my life's work to uh, get them into it. And so I've been giving them all, like, trades and being like, read this. <laughs> if you love me, read this. <laughs> you said that Bitch you were Planet like, is one of those. You said that you're fairly new to comics. I mean, what, what kind of got you interested in, in reading and checking them out? Um, Captain America 2, when that came out, that was, a, <laughs> like, Fair. that's, like, one of my favorite movies of all time, so I, I was, like, I need to read what this is based on, and then I kind of started, like, sending out the feelers and asking people, like, hey, what should I be reading, and um, everyone and their mother told me Hawkeye, so mm. I read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, and it changed my life, which, I talk about this a lot, um, on Twitter. <laughs> um, but I think that was the the series that kind of, like, showed me that there was kind of more to the genre than um, what a lot of people think, I think. So I think, like, that summer I just read everything that I could. And uh, it's been, you know, snowballing from there, so... <laughs> 
Um, like, but then I, I kind of found comics that like coincided with my interests as well. So like feminism with like Bitch Planet and now Monstrous and Ms. Marvel and things like that. So, well, how did you discover those? I mean, that was actually going to be my next question. Was you know starting off with those? Like those are great series and and i would absolutely like recommend them to to new people reading out but you know just having talked to you outside of the show that you're really into kind of like the more feminist comics like how did you eventually discover those um i was a women's studies minor in college so kind of um between like that and internet communities i sort of like honed the genre that i was looking for i guess um and then I have friends who have been reading comics longer than I, which is, is nice because then they recommend things to you. So um, a lot of the things that I was reading was, like, based on recommendation and then kind of just Internet communities and then research based on that. Interesting. So I've wondered about that. I mean, like, that's something we've talked about it often of how people kind of discover comic, comics or not just mm-hmm. – get into them nowadays, but like actually find what's new what's going on. So, I mean, taking someone who's relatively new, it's, it's good to kind of hear these things and we get a better idea as to what the hell's going on. Hmm. Yeah, I really, I'm really big into, like, research. So there are quite a few times that I would just fall into a Wikipedia hole and just find out a lot of extraneous information that I just, like, I know it now. So <laughs> that's good. But um, it, part of it was, like, me being genuinely interested, and then part of it was like a desperate need to know, like what happened in the seventy years I wasn't reading comics. So, well, so as someone that's new, and we've we've talked about it in past shows and and a few times, you know, as a woman coming into the, you know coming into the comic fandom, like did you find it? Well, I don't. First question would be is like, did you go out to comic shops to do this, or were you buying stuff digitally? Because that would make a hell of a difference. Um, but you know, getting into comics, did you find the, the industry like uh, I don't know how to like slightly? Uh, Milani, you might be able to better like word it. Than me. Or like yes, the that would be why you were there. there. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of daunting to get into just because there's so much like no like when you go into it, there's so much that you know you've missed out on. Um, but that kind of like adds a little pressure. Um. And then I did actually go to a comic book store the first time I ever wanted to read a comic. Um, and it was, like, it was pretty intimidating because, you know, you kind of hear the stories. Like, I went to a comic book store and everyone ignored me or they were mean to me. Um, but I don't know. It wasn't, like, a negative experience the first time. And if it had been, I probably would have stuck to mostly digital titles. Mm-hmm. But... Um, they kind of ignored me, and I felt a little awkward, but I liked the, what I was reading enough to go back, so I guess I didn't have a bad experience. The comic book store I went to in college um, actually developed a really good friendship, kind of, with one of the guys who worked there, and he would always tell me like what I would like and um, what comics to read and stuff like that, so... Which is what I don't know. I think I had a better be experience than a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I don't know. I don't think I had any comic shop horror stories. I 
I had like at worst I've had customers like the idiots. I've never had an employee be like, well, that's not true. One person at Midtown Comics was like less than optimal, but I haven't had it that bad at a store. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I used to have a yeah, lot of customers at our shop. I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't perfect. I do remember yelling at customers every so often because they were stupid <laughs> idiots. Yeah, I've never yeah. like intimidated out of a comic book store or anything, which I'm thankful for. I mean, I, I really shouldn't yeah. have to be thankful for that, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the state of things these days, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And this is how we aim for the bottom rung, is because that, that's what. We're at. Um, so, like, what are you reading today? Like, what would you suggest to people who maybe are interested in feminist comics or kick-ass female characters or kick-ass female creators like what what would you be your recommendations for those folks um the ones that i've been reading are pretty much like anything that kelly c deconic writes um pretty deadly is one of my all-time favorite comics it's such a beautiful story and the art is amazing um emma Rios is incredibly talented so that's just a joy to read every month um when it's running. I, I, I love um, it too. I'd love to hear that. Some people feel like it's confusing and I have a response for them on that, but I'd love to hear what do you say when people are like confused by pretty deadly? I think it is confusing, but I think the confusion is like worthwhile, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of wrapped up in the end of the first volume. So going into the second one, you know a little bit more about the characters. They're a little more established and, you kind of let the story take you away on that one, I think. Um, because the second volume is possibly even more incredible than the first in terms of, like, <laughs> visual story- storytelling. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, if it's confusing, I don't know. I, I'm willing to sit through the confusion and, like, have it all come together in the end. I don't mind being confused by it. Yeah, it's so worth it. It's so worth it because of the yeah. art and the atmospheric like, experience of reading it in and of itself. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about Monstrous, too. Like, there are aspects mm. of it that I don't understand, but, oh, my gosh, the art is just amazing. I love looking at it, and I love reading it every month. Yeah, I mean, that's one that – it's a series that's definitely going to be for, like, the long-haul read. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling by the time we get through, like – what we would consider the first arc, and I don't even know if it's going to be broken out into arcs. Like, we're going to have to go back and read those first issues. I'm convinced there's going to be stuff at the end that we're like, oh, that makes sense now. And if you reread yeah. it, it would be a totally different experience. Mm. Yeah, especially especially with the, like, the first issue. It was so long that I wasn't sure what to make of it. Um, I was excited by it because it meant that I got to read it for longer. But um, in terms of, like, story arcs, I'm not really <laughs> sure, like, how it's going to fall. Yeah, there's so much to work with. I, I think that, like, we had both said that issue one of Monstrous was, like, the best number one issue of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. One, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. For lumberjanes, like you described that, you talked about that before, and I 
mostly just mm-hmm. because I've had so much on my plate that I kind of had to cut some stuff out. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for you, like, what, you know, I've seen people across, like, age and, and uh, that have, like, really enjoyed that series. Like, who do you think that audience for that comic is? Um, I really, I, I think mostly, I don't know, I don't want to say mostly women because I don't want to, like, pigeonhole people into that, but um, I feel like it's kind of, like, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was thinking that it's kind of like Toy Story and that, you know, it's meant for a younger audience, but, like, I still love Toy Story. I'll still watch it when it's on because there are themes and, like, some of the jokes that transcend the age barrier or... Um, I guess, like, intended age group is what I'm trying to say. Um, Especially with all the, yeah, especially with how they, like, curse using feminist names. I think that's hilarious. And the whole creative team are all women, you know. I think that that's really exciting. Like, right now, like, a lot of the publishers, even when they're doing more comics that have female characters in the leads, because the market demands it, they uh, don't have female creative teams on them. Yeah, and I've, that's something that I've really noticed because as I was making um, a list of, like, I don't know, just some of my favorite books with, like, female lead characters, a lot of them are not written by women or don't have a woman on the creative team. Like, um, Cry Havoc, which is one that I've been reading lately, is has, like, a female lead protagonist or whatever but there I don't think there are any women except for actually on the cover art I think there's a woman so, but but, like one of the arts like, I think that's about it no Ryan Pan yeah. is a dude he's like a righteous dude but he's a dude well there or maybe one of the colors there's like three there's so many people working oh right there's a lot of people on the book keep it yeah. keep it all right. yeah there's three colorists and it's um I know one of them is Matt Wilson because Yep. Matt Wilson is unbelievably talented, but yeah, and, either Matt Wilson or Jordy Bears coloring. Thankfully, everything. he's like working on everything. So yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Like I see him industry. and um and uh, Jordy Belair. I think they're like yep. they're doing everything, and I don't know. I don't know how, but they've sold their soul to multiple man from X Factor. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, why hasn't he been in, in the comics for like some several months at this point? And I think we know the reason. He's coloring everything. He's he's yeah, he's getting he's coloring everything on behalf of <laughs> like Matt Wilson and Jordy Belair. He's sharing his powers with them. Um, one thing that we just that we were just talking about today, speaking of things being missing from comics, uh, we were looking at the breakdown of the DC Rebirth relaunch, and it looks like there's fewer women um, creators and characters now than there was at last last we checked. Yeah, I, I was quite disappointed by that. I mean, when this all came out, um, I knew they were cutting down on the number of female-led titles. Um, I think kind of they shoved a bunch of people into a new Birds of Prey thing, mm-hmm. if, yep. if that's correct, um, which is kind of what it felt like they did with A-Force, and it's like, we're still giving you women, but they're all in one title now, which <laughs> is, like, fine, I guess, but it's kind of disappointing at the same time to know that, like, your favorite characters aren't going to have their own book anymore. Yeah. I mean, and the thing I'm just hung up on, and I totally, 
you know, I had my understanding was that Marguerite Bennett was going to be doing Wonder Woman, which sounded like such a smart move because um, she's doing Red Sonia and she's doing really good things there. And Red Sonia and Wonder mm-hmm. Woman are like really different personalities, but um, they're both really iconic female protagonists, you know, so it really mm-hmm. shows you that she can't, you know, because Marguerite Bennett is known for doing like quirky, like, you know, uh, Angela Queen, Queen, Queen of Hell and stuff like that, which is like amazing, but she's not a... Um, a flagpole, tentpole, whatever character title, but Red Sonia is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having Marguerite Bennett then go on to do Wonder Woman just seemed like this perfect place for her. But, you know, and then now, next thing you know, they're announcing, like, actually, yes. And it's we funny lied. because Greg Rucka is pretty much the only male writer who they could choose, and like people like you and I wouldn't be in the streets protesting. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, think that's on purpose. Yeah, and so, like, I guess I'm not too mad about it, but it is disappointing that we're not going to have... No, I'm really mad about it. I feel like it's deliberate. Like, they chose, like, the one guy who we couldn't yell at because he's awesome so that we wouldn't yell at him. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't think that that's... I mean, Greg Rucka did it because he's, like, awesome and is going to do a great job, but I don't... I don't... I don't put it on neutral terms and part of the choice that the editor that the editors made. I mean, I want to know like why they decided not to give her this book. I don't think that my knowledge, I don't think that my info was bad. I don't, you know, I think that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to know what the hell that is about. Well, I, I, I think this she posted in other places too. Mm. Yeah. She posted on like a Patreon that kind of hinted that she got offered and was pulled from her, but Mm-hmm. From what I can tell, they have done that. leading up to each of these like relaunches, whatever you want to call it, a whole bunch of different creative teams all pitching at the same time. Um, so you had a mm-hmm. whole bunch of folks jockeying for it. I don't know if that's with this one. Um, I've I've been fascinated to know anyone else. You know, this kind of happened to. Um, and the little birdie that I've been told is that some of these decisions were very last minute and things were in the air. So. I don't know. It's not that I'm happy about it, and it would be nice to see her on Wonder Woman, but it's. I have a feeling there's way more to the story than we will ever know. I want to know what that story is, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just think it's too cute by half. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like they keep, they keep doing things that make us angry, but then they do it in a way that's like. We want you to not be mad about. I don't know. I, I think Marvel does that too. Um, mm-hmm. Totally, like giving us um, like a Red Wolf title written by someone who's Sister. like questionably associated with in comics, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I don't know. Like they keep doing things, or mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I mean, I, I feel like it's deliberate. They think they can, like, thread the needle and appeal to both people like us and to people who are retrograde mm-hmm. and, like, keep everybody yeah. happy by doing it that way. I'm sorry? You said retrograde. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm angry. Um, and I, I definitely think that there's some interesting – there's interesting stuff coming through with, re, with the relaunch. Like, I'm curious to see there's a new female writer on Batgirl. That's interesting. Um mm-hmm. You know, there's a new female right. You know, they're moving female writer over to Girl and the Birds of Prey. But like, I, you know, I had we had like a queer man writing queer John Constantine, you know, and Ming Doyle and 
that comic was like the best thing DC was doing. And I'm totally going to pick up the new Constantine comic, but I still like, I don't know. Is this new writer also a queer man writing a queer character? Cause that was pretty fucking good that they had that for once. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think there's any women of color that I'm aware of in the new lineup. Brett, do you know? Yeah. Like, it's um, just bad. I don't know. I, I think I I've gotten think away from, like, reading Marvel and DC because they frustrate me a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still characters that I love and I really enjoy reading and I, I care about them, but it, it's really frustrating with all the, like, the relaunches and the, like, the changing hands and artists, like, things like that are just, they they don't make the comics accessible, which is really frustrating when you're reading a series and then it's like, okay, this is going to end in three issues and then it's going to change again. So, yeah, I, I'm also always interested in hearing from... I'm sorry, what was that? I'm sorry, you're picking up. Uh, Brett, I can't, I, I can't hear you right now. Sorry. Did you hear him, Madison? No, he was breaking up pretty badly. Okay, sorry. It's good because I'm like, maybe it's me, but no, okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's not just you. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I mean, I just, like, there definitely are some story concepts that are coming out, but I, uh, if they're going to go to the trouble of relaunching it, they needed to take every step possible to make it more diverse, and that's not what they did. And when Brett and no, I did... it's kind of just, like, the bare minimum, really. Exactly, exactly. Um, like, you know, although I will say, I, I am excited for the new Black Panther comic. I think that's going to be really good. Oh, yeah, Totally. Black Panther is going to be awesome. Um, I just think that, you know, they had this opportunity. And when Brett and I did like a whole episode where we suggested different writers and and artists for Mm -hmm. DC Rebirth, and our list was like at least 50% women on everything and easily. And we had like racial diversity as well. So it's not like there aren't names of qualified people out there. Like, we weren't suggesting, like, Sally Joe, who has a webcomic you've never, ever heard of. We were suggesting people yeah. who were reasonable. Yeah, so. that's, that's the biggest thing I've learned this month doing, like, comics history is that, like, women are out there, and they're just as talented as the men are. And, like, they write amazing stories as well. It's not like you should be struggling for to find women to write these books. They're, they're already there. Just hire mm-hmm. them. Is there a particular comic that you wish existed that doesn't exist right now? Yeah, um, a Wasp comic with Janet Van Dyne. Mm. I would love so much. I She shafted so bad in the Ant-Man movie that it, it was really frustrating to me, and I still am bitter about that. Um, and then I'd love to see, um, like, a, a Kate Bishop and America Chavez team-up book where they just, like, pal around and or, like, PIs or something. I think that would oh, be really cool. fun. Yeah. I never like, thought about them as PIs. I'd pay so much money so to see cool. that. Oh, wow. Or, like... So would everybody. Uh, yeah, like, Young Avengers 3.0 with, like, Kate, America. Um, I'd love to see Anya Corazon in that, mm. too. I think that would be really fun. And, like, maybe Ms. Marvel and bring back Cassie Lang, because I miss her. <laughs> I mean, Aww. I know she's, like, back from the dead, but... Oh, she is? Sure. I didn't know that. I, yeah, I think, I'm not sure how or why, but I'm pretty sure she is back now for unknown reasons. I don't think she's like a superhero or anything, but Cassie Lang, they killed her off in Young Avengers. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But, well, yeah, that was a really yeah. good oh, death for me. 
she was kind of like fridged almost for the purpose of making Scott Lang become relevant. She was, yeah. Yeah. That's what made me super mad. And I think that's why I was frustrated that it was such a big plot point in um, Ant-Man because basically the same thing happened. She was kidnapped just for the purpose of making Scott Lang a bigger hero. There's a lot of things about Ant-Man that frustrated me, but that was definitely one of them. Mm, Those are some good ideas. I like it. Are there any DC comics? Yeah, for real. Are there any DC comics that you wish were happening that aren't happening? Um, I'm not as familiar with DC, but a Batwoman book. Bring that back, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah. Batwoman is one of my favorites, and J.H. Williams' art on the New Fifty Two Batwoman is just unbelievable. So, if he drew it again, I'd totally read it. And even if he didn't, I'd still probably read it. Well, the good is it sounds like Batwoman is going to have a bit more of a um, role in the Detective Comics series. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's one of the, I like that one. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the only reasons why like, I am have any interest. That's the only thing that would get me reading it at all. I'll at least give it one issue to check it out. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how much of a role, but some role. Maybe people are like again, like thinking about it optimistically, but that's what it sounded like people were thinking online, at least. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you really are reading much more of the independent, like the the big name in independent comics right yeah. now. I found that I've definitely gravitated toward those, and I think it's because they allow the writers to develop more of like a. I don't know. I don't. I hesitate to say a deeper story because not all comics are like shallow and pointless or anything. You're just like story just for story. But um, I think in like creator-owned comics, they have more of a chance to develop the worlds and the characters in a way that like you don't necessarily have control over with like mainstream publishers. Mm. Definitely. I mean, I know that people are under pressure still, like. I know that there's a whole rule like, oh, if there's more than like two women in this team, then that's going to be considered like a women's team up. Are there no more than three women Mm -hmm. in this team? It's going to be considered a women's book. Like that kind of bullshit is out there and that isn't just applying to like the big two. But um, I think there's definitely more diversity in content. Like there's more different kinds of genres of stories. Mm Yeah. And I I mean, I read a lot of image, so I've been enjoying a lot of that. I think Shudder is one like Shudder is one of my favorites that nobody really seems to talk about, but yeah, um, please talk that's about a really Shutter, fun one. I don't really know anything um, about Shudder. Shudder is pretty great. It's like a like an action adventure comic, um, very dramatic, um, almost soap opera ish, but like cooler, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's, it's I want to say Indiana Jones, but I've never actually seen Indiana Jones, so I hesitate to say that too. It's pretty um, I've never seen Indiana Jones. I, I have never seen Indiana Jones. I didn't see Close to <laughs> And I've never seen E.T. <laughs> I oh, made it 22 years without seeing either yeah. of those movies. <laughs> but it's, it's very, like, action-adventure-y, discovering new things. Um, and Layla Del Duca is an incredible artist. Um, I love, like, looking at the comics she draws. Um, it's pretty innovative in terms of panel structure. Um, the last issue they did was kind of, like, not a cry havoc ish thing, but they did like a three panel structure where um they told three separate stories. Um and each panel had like each character had 
separate colors, so you can kind of read it like one character at a time or the whole thing at one time. So that was pretty neat, and um, mm-hmm. it, it keeps getting more and more interesting. I think that's another one that's kind of in it for the long haul, so hopefully it continues. But I never cool. really hear anyone talking about it, so. It was one I, I read the first, probably the first arc, and I liked it a lot. It was I think it was mm-hmm. one where I... I read the first arc, there was a pause, they took a break, which a lot of the image books do, and I didn't pick it up on the mm-hmm. second arc just because, well, I got inundated with a whole bunch of other stuff to read. Um, but it was, yeah. it was good. I, I remember like liking it. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that one. Um, Rat Queens is another one that I like a lot. Um, uh-huh. I think they just came off a break, too. But Yeah, Rat Queens has had a huge, huge following. I, In some ways, I feel like Rat Queens is probably something that should be made into a TV show or something like that. I would love to see it thing. made into a TV show. Yeah, I prefer, I mean, honestly, I prefer everything animated. Like, I, I want an 80s it. animated D&D type style, like uh, oh, the God, Old God, Hobbit the animated. Ugliest, that was the ugliest, no, Ralph mm-hmm. Bakshi style. You want a Ralph Bakshi style? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rat Queens. Oh, God. It's so awesome. I don't even know. Someone but, like someone said animated Squirrel Girl the other day, and I was like, yes, give it totally. to me. I'd be all about animated. I see that's one that I actually think would work best as an animated series. I can't see mm-hmm. it as a live action. No, it can't. I can't. I don't. I don't know if I could take yeah. it serious as a live action. I think that's my thing. Like the, the I can't picture the costume done well enough that's not going to get me to giggle. Yeah, and I think you'd have to animate the tail too, which is like yeah. one thing I've thought about a lot. Is like, how do you make the tail? I think you'd have to animate it because squirrels' tails are like so fluffy, but like <laughs> not solid at the same time. But I think it would work as an animated show a lot better too. But I think you're right. It'd have to have its own effects on the tail. That's cool. Yeah, I know that. Like about Shutter, like I remember there was an article interviewing comic store managers in one of the comic stores actually had a shutter book club. People didn't yeah, even talk cool. about it. Yeah. But that's definitely and Lila Deluca's art is fantastic. I liked her guest her guest it shot is, yeah. at at with Wicked on um, the Wicked Plus the Divine. Yeah, she was the perfect artist for the Morrigan. I love that issue. Oh my God. That's the issue of Wicked Plus the Divine that I finally had to write about. You know, one of the re- I'm so impressed that you do these reviews of Monstrous because there's so much to talk about in Monstrous it feels really daunting to write about it yeah. sorry the segue in my mind is that the reason I hadn't written about the Wicked Plus the Divine is because there's so much to talk about it felt really daunting to have to write about yeah. it <laughs> yeah that's another one that I definitely want to go back and reread um, I feel like I've, I've missed it in a weird way like because you know I haven't been reading it in big chunks like there are certain books that I just read as trades rather than as single issues because it's just so much easier that way. Like Saga is one of those. Um, mm. But I think Wicked and Divine definitely deserves my attention before it comes out in nine days, as Kieran tweeted earlier today. So Ah, screaming! I know. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm happy to talk about it with folks anytime. Um, but that does not have any women on the team. But it does have awesome female characters. Yes. Yeah, uh, they're a team that I, that I would trust with my female characters. Totally, absolutely. One of the, um, I mean, I think that like 
it feels like comics wants you to feel like it's progress that they're having that they're hiring more of these men who write women really well. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, I definitely appreciate men writing women really well because when women don't write, when men don't write women really well, I kind of want to kick them. But that's not the same thing as hiring women. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's, it's really yeah. it's not that hard. <laughs> Yeah, they're not like complicated, indefinable beings. Like they want me to apply. Uh, they want me to applaud them for hiring feminist men, and I'm like, yeah, you should hire feminist men, and you should yeah, hire women. It's like it's not. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. something I've noticed a lot. Is like a lot of the ones that I read, I, I do read mostly like uh, comics with like female protagonists or lead characters or whatever. But a lot of them still are mostly written by men. Um, Welcome Back is another one that I've really been enjoying. Um, it developed. It was kind of not really one that you can read in a single issue and totally get, I think. But what is it um, about? as the story has progressed, um, it's about time traveling—not time traveling, but um, what reincarnation? Who are yeah? They're basically like sent out to kill one another, and then after the mission is completed, the other one like kills themselves and then they're reincarnated again and again and again so it's kind of like a modern incarnation of these two assassins who have been at it for like centuries which yeah, is think um, of, a think weird concept but yeah. pretty interesting I kind of describe it as spy versus spy with reincarnation huh. yeah yeah that makes sense but get rid of the comedy <laughs> yeah oh really yeah, it's, it's quite serious yeah. It's serious. There's no, it's like it's not the, the the comedic thing of spy versus spy. It's just like it's that idea of these two assassins going at it. That's about where it ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And the characters, both of the main characters are women. Yeah. Yes. In this incarnation, yeah. Ah. So, so they change. Yeah. They change their gender at different different um, points. Yeah. Uh, well, the the present storyline has like basically followed these two characters, like, as they are in the present with, like, kind of flashbacks, but um, as for the, like, the main storyline, they've been women the entire time. Okay, that's yeah, interesting. It's a weird one. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird, but kind of fun, in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, I'm in a point where there's more stuff that I want to read than I could ever read and, like, trying to pull priorities yeah. of what do I choose is, is hard. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to make it so that I prioritize reading titles, like, by women creators and stuff like that more than I might, and, and by, you know, people of color and stuff like that. Like, if I have to choose, if I have to pick one thing yeah. over another. Pretty much everything else that I read is, like, kind of peripheral reading. Like, if I have time, then... And if I get to it, then I get to it. But um, my priority, as far as ongoing comics goes, is, like, female main characters or um, writers or artists. What would you if, you... if there was one book for each of you that you had to recommend, like, what would it be? No pressure on that one, but... To pull this out of the blue, like what would recommend be to who rec- to recommend recommend to, to who? Let's say to other to other women that want to read comics or get into comics or yeah, we'll go with oh that. Oh boy. <laughs> so, 
um, ties into the you feel pressure on giving advice to people conversation we had. I I always tell people who have like never read comics before. Um, I always tell them to read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Um, partially because it was the first one that I ever read, and I hope that everyone has as great an experience reading it as I did. Um, and also because I think it's very accessible for beginners. Like it's a very standalone, like specific version of Clint that I wish existed like elsewhere. Um, and also Kate Bishop kicks ass, and I love that about her. <laughs> mm. um, and then I, I also tell people to read Pretty Deadly a lot, just because the combination of art and story is like one of my favorites ever. I mean, for me, like I just I can't. I have to. I always have to respond with asking them, like, well, what genres do you like <laughs> in other things? You know, because I can't. I can't answer that any other way. Why, you know, if somebody doesn't like the same things I like in general, then they're not going to, I think that you can like some comics are harder to read than others. And I would probably, you know, I would not suggest comics that are very heavy in continuity, or I would not suggest comics Mm -hmm. that require a lot of competency at reading complex page layouts and things like that for folks who don't Mm -hmm. know comics well, but I got to know, like, do you like comedy? Do you like horror? Do you like mysteries? Like, you know, do you want something that's like really heavy political? Do you want something funny? Like what? I need to know a little bit more. I just have to. Some people, some people won't read superheroes, for example. No. One of the interesting things about like telling people to read comics is like you hear about Watchmen, like no matter what you do, like Watchmen is kind of this omnipresent like work that you know exists in comics. And that's often the one that people tell you to read first in my comic book class. That was like the first one that we read, even though it's probably one of the tougher ones to get through in terms of like theme and character. I feel like you kind of have to know a little bit about superheroes before you start Watchmen, but yeah, that's kind of part Most of the people point dive of right in. Yeah, like, I know. Yeah. That's so stupid. Like, it's the. I mean, I'm I'm really shocked that your class said you read that first. I mean, maybe they were assuming that most people in the class had familiarity with comics. I don't know. Yeah. But like, it's a comic book about comics. Why would I suggest a yeah. comic book about comics to people who don't know about comics? That's 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 a bad idea. <laughs> like that would be the first comic I would suggest to somebody who grew up reading comics, and then stopped reading them because comics are childish. You know, and yeah. I would say actually, yeah. but it's not someone. Yeah, I'm trying to think. But for somebody, it, it like, might have been Sandman. I can't and remember if we read Sandman or Watchmen first, but Sandman it was like one like, of those two. Yeah, Sandman. I think like, I'm assuming people in your class are probably a lot of literature students, so that's probably not a bad mm-hmm. thing for lit students because it's full of references to the great canon of literature, which they might be familiar with. So that's probably a good fit for those folks, maybe. Yeah, I think Sandman's a really interesting commentary on how we tell stories and how we think about, like, dreams and stories. I don't know. I think that still does require a little bit of background knowledge before you just jump right in. I haven't really found there to be one answer to that, you know. Like, I will say that, like, the one comic I was able to get my dad to read after years of harassing him to get him to read comics was, was Saga. And I do know Saga is a good entrance comic for a lot of people. Um, obviously, since we're talking about women in comics, point out the artist, mm-hmm. Fiona Staples, is the uh, mm-hmm. artist. But um, 
Mm-hmm. But even that, like, I still wouldn't just say saga if I didn't know what kind of things people wanted to want. I think with, so. with saga, it's a little bit easier because it uses so much that we've seen in other like other media or not really other media, but like other things. Like there's a mix of Star Wars. There's a mix of, you know, all these different things in it. So it's very mm-hmm. familiar to people, which makes it easy to to get into. I yeah. also feel like the art style, Fiona Staples' art style is really accessible to people yeah. who aren't like mm-hmm. superhero comic. It doesn't look like a superhero comic. The women don't look disgusting. The men don't look disgusting. In fact, everybody actually looks quite lovely. Um, and yeah. there's a diversity on the page in terms of what the way characters are look and are designed. Um, I think that it's the art is very good art for for new comic readers. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, you have comics like From Hell, which I read last summer, and that's just, just so far from accessible um, in true Alan Moore fashion. Um, even in terms of art, it's just it's a lot to process. So mm. that is one comic I would never recommend to new readers is From Hell, but it was interesting nonetheless. That's a good question too, though. What what wouldn't you recommend to people? Yeah, what would you tell people? Like, I mean, obviously we don't want to tell them to. We, obviously, we're all against suggesting Watchmen, but like, I'm yeah, you don't want to have new readers. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great one to mention. From Hell is hard as fuck. It's like visually to it process so it. So hard. You know? I was I was like reading it by the pool on vacation last year, and it's like this is this, this feels so wrong, but I'm gonna power through it anyway. <laughs> Sounds like the mistake I made. So on, on my honeymoon, I decided to read Mike's Place, which is an amazing graphic novel, and it's a, but it's about a real um, suicide bombing in Israel. And I was like, oh, I, I really want – like this is one where I really, really wanted to read it, and I got an early copy of it, so I was super excited. And then I started reading it, and I'm like, I want to keep on reading it. And then I was like – every so often it just felt like a gut punch. And I'm like, I yeah. really should not be reading this on a honeymoon. This is such a bad idea. It's so good. I need to keep on reading it, and it just yeah. It was. Uh, it's one of those that I I would probably like, I want to recommend it to folks, but I don't at the same time because oh my god, is it just like it hits you and it hits you hard, especially when you realize it's a true story. Yeah, um, not a true story, but I Kill Giants was like I loved it. Um, like that one was pretty yep. pretty tough. That's a that's a great one. I think there's supposed to be it's a movie such a good that story though. Point. Yeah, and what I is think that? they cast Zoe Saldana in it. Oh wow! Um, what is that story? It's been a while since I read it, but it's about this little girl. Um, I think her name is Barbara, and she's like really into like Dungeons and Dragons, and she has like this. Um, I think it's like a pencil that turns into a, a giant battle axe, and she goes out and kind of like kills all these giants, and it, it's just. I don't know, there's like a twist to it yeah. um, without giving too much away, but it's yeah. just a really well-done story, beautiful art. I highly recommend it. Yeah, it was. It came out in like 2008, one of the best of that year. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's up there as like one of the, the best ones I've read. It's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Huh. It's a classic. That one's definitely a classic. Yeah, one of my friends recommended it to me, and when I bought it, the guy at the comic book store was like, "Oh, you're reading that?" <laughs> like, yep. And he goes, "It's really great, but uh, yeah." Just warn you. <laughs> so it's definitely worth reading, though. It's really, really well done. Yeah, 
there's a there's a lot of comics like that that have been out for like know, years now that it's almost like a there just seems to be more and more of them released at least one or two a year where you read it and you're just like oh my god I this is so good I really don't want to recommend it to other people because it's like such a just a emotional draining experience but mm-hmm. it was really good and I want you to read it but I really also yeah. don't want you to read it at the same time yeah. Day Trippers was one that was like that with me that oh. Yeah. Oh, I, I have that sitting waiting to be read and I haven't read it yet. <laughs> um take it in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> it's not one to power through. Yeah, I I have it like waiting for the end of the like the end of this project and I, I figured I'll have more time to devote to it. So I'm really looking forward to reading that one. Yeah, the the uh, Gabriel Vaughn and Fabio Moon were like two of the only creators I've ever completely like lost my shit around meaning. Because mm. uh, I'm <laughs> such a huge fan of theirs. Casanova and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They Day Trippers, Casanova. Um, I can't think two of they brothers. just did. Yeah, two brothers. Uh, a lot of and I, the reason I can't blank out is a lot of it's Spanish titles and I'm, I'm just blanking on them. Um, even though they're in English, they still have Spanish titles. Um, they just did one that was an adaptation of a Brazilian story that was like a deconstruction about the military rule of Brazil. Yeah, it's Two Brothers. That was the that's the one. Um, but I can't think of the original story that it's based off of. Um, and it's really it's a fascinating read, especially when you know the history of it. Hmm, cool. Um, well, well, thank I mean, you. Yeah, we're kind of coming up on uh, almost an hour and a half. So it, um, we so we end the show always with uh, giving our guests a platform to allow fo- folks to find them online. Uh, so if you want, you know, people to follow you on Twitter, and I don't even know if you have like your own personal website. Um, I know there's a couple other websites you write for, stuff like that. So uh, all you to to pitch yourself and. Uh, uh, let people know where to find you. Sure. Um, I can mostly be found on Twitter. Um, I tweet mostly about comics. Um, my Twitter is at Madison R. Butler. Um, yeah, all one word. So it's pretty much where I'm at most of the time. So Cool. Um, and of course You'll know it's me find. because Pink Batman is my background image. So <laughs> I like yeah. it. And you can also find her on Graphic Policy, and yes. she is the driving force behind Comics History. So yeah. you know, yeah. go read her awesome writing for that and learn some history. And I've been learning tons, so I'm mm-hmm. super excited. Yeah, about wrapping it. up, wrapping up with the Daily Post soon, but hopefully we'll continue with other stuff in the near future. Yes, absolutely. I want to keep it going because it's a great thing. Something the site's yeah, all about. Yeah, it's been really and, fun, and I've I've learned a ton. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out to keep it going, and I want to keep it going because um, I think it's just a great thing to do in general. Um, but thank you for joining us. It's been great having you. Yeah, thanks um, for having appreciate me. Appreciate it. I definitely have to have you on again. Yeah, I'd love to be here. Cool. And then, Brett, you and I will be back on Monday with two special guests to yes, talk about Daredevil. So folks Daredevil better get caught up two. on all of your Daredevil season two. You can possibly catch up on all of it. And we'll be joined with prior Daredevil guests, Scott Eric Kaufman of Salon Magazine, formerly of the Onion AV Club, 
um, Daredevil aficionado. And we'll also be joined by Spencer Ackerman, reporter for The Guardian, uh, the guy who uncovered the Homan Square police black site story, expert on issues like torture and abuse of violence and lifelong comic book geeks, both of them. I'm really excited. So stay tuned yes. for next Monday. And uh, the reason we are having them is because they were on our discussion from the first season. Um, so it'll be fun to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'll be fun to see the comparison between first season and second season uh, as to what they have to say. So that will be next Monday. So definitely tune in for that. And then the following week after that, we will have guests as well that we are working on. So that should be fun. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. You can find us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. Uh, if you want to learn comics history, you can follow, uh, of course, on Graphic Policy. There's a nice little section of comics history right underneath the uh, carousel. Uh, or you can go on Twitter, and it's comics history, um, and get all the back ish- you know, like backstories and learn about some amazing female creators. Um, there. So, uh, thank you for listening. The po- the show will be on demand on iTunes, and I don't know, probably an hour or two. Takes a little bit to process, but of course, it'll be on SoundCloud tomorrow, and then post it up on the site so you can listen to it again or share it with your friends. But thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.